All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, my name is Ricky. I serve as one of the pastors here. Um, years ago, uh, when I got into ministry, I was in my young 20s, and I was actually a youth pastor. And, and after some time, my, my wife Chrissy said, hey, I think, it's, I think it's time that you stop dressing like you're in high school or college. And uh, you know what? You know why? Why is that? By the way, if you're wondering how I dressed back then, it's basically what's in style now. So I was just ahead of my time. Boom. Um, but and you're like, no, nah, not really. Um, but um, and it's not that she was super concerned exactly with how I looked to her, but but it, she just kind of knew if you if I look a certain way, people will take me maybe less seriously. Or if I dress a little bit more mature and everything, then, then people will take me more seriously. I won't just maybe seem like, like the youth guy, because here's kind of this thing, looks matter. How, how things look matter. I mean, if I, I know everybody else are huge cookie fans too, but I mean, if you go to buy a cookie from a place and they look dry, you're like, I don't think I'm buying that. Because it doesn't look right. It doesn't look very appetizing or anything like that. Here's just a quick video. There is no sound. So in case you're wondering like, oh, they messed up. Nope, there is no sound. But it just, it, it, uh, just a video to just kind of help you to see. We all want things to look good. Now, this, this is the part where you like, look at that. Boom. And then look at that guy's yard. Bam. You know, you're just like, yeah, that looks terrible. Right? You know, the, gra the grass is meant to be green, but it's dry and it's really not growing. So instead, let's just paint it. Just paint it. Now, I have to admit, I am actually really drawn to that. <laughs> I'm like, that looks pretty good. <laughs> I, I actually really want to do that. And then especially when you notice it in comparison to his neighbor's yard, it's just like, yeah, look at that. Mine looks awesome. Mine looks really good. And theirs doesn't because the grass is supposed to look green. So you know what? Let's just make it green. Let's put some paint on it and it'll look like we have this awesome yard. I, I mean, Alex, you know, he gets, he does all this stuff or gets the soil tested. I don't need to do any of that. Boom. Mine looks better than yours. See that? Now, <clears throat> do we do that? Not just, not, not just with kind of painting our grass, but do we do that with our lives? Do we do that in a way that we're just, we're just trying to make our lives look good? And, and the, the thing is, is like, of course you do, right? You go to the gym, you want to look good. You say certain things or you don't say certain things because we all want to look good to everybody else. But do you even do that spiritually? You just do certain things so that you look good to God or you look good to others spiritually. Man, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm such now a really good Christian where I don't do those things. Do you, do you approach God that way? Relationship with God. Look at the outside. Look at how good I look. And you know what? You're, you're, you're going through life, living your relationship with God, with God, and you're like, let's just put some paint on it. That'll fix it. That'll fix me. But is the problem actually a much deeper issue than that? 
And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew 15. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Matthew 15, we were going through a sermon series at the table which was just looking at people eating together at different places in the Bible. And um, we did 40, or, but that, even though this, the sermon series is over, the initiative is still going. We want to have a thousand shared meals in 40 weeks with people that you don't normally eat with to help us grow as a church and just being a community together, but also reaching out to the community um, out there. And so... I'd encourage you to keep going that, keep inviting people around, around your dinner table. So uh, we're now back into Matthew, and we'll keep going through the book of Matthew for quite some time. So leading up to this, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, just to kind of give you a recap of what's going on in Matthew. Preached the Sermon on the Mount, he starts healing people, casting out demons, and then the spiritual um, leaders, the religious elite, the Pharisees, they're starting to not like Jesus. They start asking him questions, kind of doing that. And we're, we're going to kind of really see this pick up, this resistance against Jesus that they have. John the Baptist, who is the forerunner to Christ, he's executed, um, and then Jesus has been showing, performing miracles, showing that he is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior to come, and we see this, this now, he's, he's fed 5,000, he walked on water, and then um, now this, this tension is picking up. So Matthew 15, verse 1, then Jesus was approached by the Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem who asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they don't wash their hands? So here's the first point here is that there's a hearing problem. We see that they have a hearing problem. So now if you notice, these are not just regular Pharisees. These are Pharisees from Jerusalem. It's like, it would be like you're out there in like Broken Bow, Nebraska, and it's like somebody from Chicago came. Oh, they're coming out here. And so even these kind of bigger dog religious leaders, they're coming from the big city and they're out there. They're out there to inspect Jesus. They're kind of out there to trap him, to get him. And they've traveled over a hundred miles and they're coming not with humble hearts, but with hardened hearts. And this is their complaint. Why do your disciples... Don't, why don't they do this? And, and you could tell right now, these Pharisees are definitely Midwesterners because they're very passive aggressive. And so they're like, they're not coming to Jesus. Why don't you do this? They're like, why don't, why don't they do this? But it's just this backhanded jab at Jesus. Why don't your disciples, the ones that you're teaching, the ones that are following you, why don't they wash their hands in accordance with the, the before they eat, like the tradition of the elders. Now, for us, this might be like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And so in the Old Testament, there was a command given by God to the priests that the priests would need to wash their hands before they would go into the temple, before they would go into wash with God. And so that was the command. Now, over hundreds of years, um, kind of like the religious authorities and people, they're, they're looking at the Bible and they're like, okay, wait a minute. The, the priests need to wash before they eat when they're going with God. Okay, wouldn't it actually be good if we did the same thing? That way we don't get anywhere close to breaking God's commandments. They, they, they called it the fence around the law. So if this was the law of God, they'd be like, how do, we, how do we make sure so much that we don't break the law? We'll even come to come farther out. We'll put this fence around it so we don't, we don't break God's law. So if, oh, if he commanded that to the priests, then it's probably a good idea. Shouldn't we just all do that? Just, just to play it safe. 
Well, and if he's saying that to the priests before they go to the temple to be with God, well, what if we're doing other things with God? What if, what if we're praying? Well, you know, yeah, that's like with God. So, so we should probably wash before we eat and, and even pray any of these things. And so this, this commandment, or it actually wasn't a commandment. This is kind of like the oral law. It's just what, what the religious leaders are saying. And so that's what they're saying. It's a tradition of the elders. It's not in the word of God. And it's not about being hygienically clean. Not, not like, hey, wash before you're just out there. You're just picking your nose, kid. Wash your hands. That's a good thing in case you're wondering that. Um, you know, like that's not it. It's about being morally clean. If you wash before you eat, that'll help you be good with God. Now you're morally clean. If you don't, then you're defiled to God. Not just that you're not eating with nice, clean hands. It's like you are now morally unclean. And so that's their question to Jesus. Verse 3, he answered them, Why do you break God's commandments because of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of your father and mother must be put to death. But you say, whoever tells his father and mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple. He does not ha- uh, have to honor his, uh, his father. In this way, you've nullified the, the word of God because of your tradition. You're hypocrites. And so they come to Adam, and then Jesus replies to, uh, with a different question. They're like, why do you break the tradition of the elders? He's like, why do you break the commandment of God? Right? I mean, he's not subtle in this. Jesus isn't playing games here. And so one of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament was honor your father and mother. And the implication of that is, is that you help take care of your father and mother. And when they get older and they're helpless and weak and they can't, they can't really work or anything like that, then you would need to, to honor them and help take care of them. And so what, what they had kind of made part of their tradition, they're kind of not, not the law of God, but just what they said is fine, is that you could say, if, if my parents are in need and I have all this money and I could help them, I could say, oh, see, see my funds here? Those are, maybe your translation says Corbin, or they're dedicated to God. Oh, I I can't give you, I can't help you, mom and dad, because the money that I have is dedicated to God. Shucks. Bummer. And and so it it looks spiritual, right? Like even if, if I just said, I've dedicated this money to the Lord, that sounds really good. But but what it was, was now I'm not going to help you. I'm going to keep this. And then what would happen most of all the time would be they wouldn't even give it to God either. It was, it was this loophole. Oh, well, now I don't have to help you. Even though this commandment was meant to help, like God's looking out for the helpless. God's looking out for the weak. And then now they found a way around it. Well, now we just don't, we've dedicated it to God. Doesn't that sound so awesome? Look how spiritual I'm being. But when it's like, well, actually... You're not dedicating this money to the Lord. You're dedicating it to yourself. You're just wanting to keep it for you. It's not really about worshiping God with your money. Right? It's about worshiping yourself. And if you want to find the... I think it's probably the quickest way to see somebody, if they're really wanting to follow God and not be about themselves, probably the quickest way is people's wallets. Just how do you spend your money? 
right? And we, we kind of do similar things. Well, I can't, I can't, I can't give, I can't be generous. Oh, right? Because you might say certain things, but really the bottom line is just because you want it for you. And Jesus is, is pointing this out. You're not following the commandment of God. What God clearly lined out in scripture, you're discrediting that for, what does he say? Why is the reason that they're not following God? Jesus says it. He says, why do you, verse three, why do you break God's commandment? Why? Because of your tradition. That's why you're getting, that's why you're doing this. The oral law, the, what everybody's teaching, what everybody is saying around you, all these extra rules and loopholes that you're, you're doing, ah, that's, that's why you're not following God. That's, that's their hearing problem. You're hearing what everyone else is saying. You're hearing what, what all these other people are teaching. They're teaching you the wrong things. You're listening to the wrong things. And now the way that you think, the, the things that you do are all messed up and you're actually not following God because of what you're listening to, because of their traditions. That's what you're, you're you've listened to them. They sound kind of good. They look kind of good. And now you, you don't even realize it. You, you don't, you, you actually think to, you seem to think that your ways of doing things are better than God's ways of doing things. I, I like to say, this is the soup that everybody's cooking in. Everybody's in it. Everybody's in the same pot. They don't even really notice it because this is what society is saying. That's why you're, you're not doing this. And, and I mean, even, even look in this passage, even the disciples, they don't get it. It's, it's not just the Pharisees. It's, it's actually everybody. In verse 11, he's like, man, Jesus, don't you know you're offending people? Offending them? Verse 15, Peter, when he says, can you explain this to us? He's really kind of representing the disciple, all of the disciples. We don't get what you're saying, Jesus. This just doesn't make sense. I mean, even later on in Acts, way after this, Peter still doesn't get it. Oh, God, nothing. I've never eaten anything unclean. I can't, can't do any of these things. And it's easy for us to think when we read this, huh, isn't it easy? How do they just not get it? How do they just not see their hypocrisy? But again, this is what everybody around them is saying. This is tradition. This is society. This is culture. Culture had, had shaped their conscience. Do, are we kind of guilty of some of the same things? Some of the, the things that we think today, that we do today, not just out there, but people in church... Do we think and do certain things? And we even might think, oh, that's really good. That's really even godly. But it's really because we're just so used to hearing it. It's actually not, we didn't read, how do we get that? Is it from scripture? Did we get it from scripture? Or is it just from what's all being said around us? I'm just going to mention a few. Now, I'm not saying these to like punk you, because some of these you might be like, ugh. That's maybe a good thing, um, but, but just to help us see, help us see maybe where some of these things are, e even for us, kind of our, our traditions, if you will, that shape the way that we, we think and that we do things. 
I mean, today, you decide and define who you are. I mean, even think of, of the things that you're being told. You decide who you are. Don't let anybody else tell you who you are. Right? Don't let anybody else tell you who you are or how important you are or any of those things, which I think is kind of, uh, it's funny because the, right, that's, that is the message. Don't let anybody tell you who you are, but then that's what you're telling me to do. Right? You're like, well, you're telling me how I should define myself by this standard, and, but you're telling me nobody could tell me how I should define myself. You're, just, you're guilty of that. Right? You, you define who you are. You, you don't let anybody tell you anything different. But what does Scripture say? In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, it doesn't really matter how other people judge me. Also, he says, and it doesn't matter how I judge myself. God judges me. Right? And some of you are like, no, but it still needs to be me too. Also in Corinthians says, you're not your own. You don't belong to you. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ. That's who you belong to. Isaiah 43, do not fear. This is God saying, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by by name. You are mine. That means you don't belong to you. You don't define yourself. I mean, today, like back then, the Pharisees would say, I'm just going to keep going here. The Pharisees might say, oh, this is clean. This is unclean. This is clean. This is unclean. But what's the narrative today? Don't let anybody decide what is good or bad for you. You define it. You determine it. Right? And we, we, even, when, even believers, we come to the word of God and we say, ah, did God really say that? Did God, is that what you really meant? No, I'll just decide for myself, God. Because you're old. This is stuff from thousands of years ago. I could, I could, I, I am more sophisticated than you, all knowing, all eternal God. Right? We decide. What makes you happy? What makes you comfortable? That's kind of the big thing. Do whatever makes you happy. Here's, here's the thing with that. Would you ever think that God would lead you? into something that is going to cause you to suffer. Would God ever do that? Yes, he would. Because God is not about your comfort. But we think if God is, has called us to something that there's no way that God could lead us into that, to, to be uncomfortable, to suffer. But the scriptures make that that clear. The Pharisees that kept adding laws, more laws, more laws, more laws, built defense. I think today we kind of struggle, we kind of do the opposite. We take away, take away. I mean, even, even think, again, I'm just, I'm just going with this. In churches today, I think sometimes we use the word grace as a way to not obey God. Well, it's just grace. It's grace. But, but really what's going on, and that sounds spiritual, and, and God's grace is amazing, it's huge, but we kind of say grace as this way to say, it doesn't really matter if I follow God or if I obey Him. I don't need to pursue holiness. Hey, do we ever kind of look spiritual, look good by saying that we're super concerned with the world around us? Oh gosh, the world's going down. 
super, oh gosh, can you believe everything that's going out there? And I'm not saying that we should stick our heads in the sand and not, not be aware of what's going on there. But what does scripture say? Take heart for I have overcome the world. Isn't that what Jesus says? Jesus says the world will hate you. This, in 1 Peter says, don't be surprised by what is happening to you. Right? But today we're like shocked. Oh my gosh. And Jesus has already clearly said, you will face trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I mean, what are some of, some of these other things? I, I, think, I think one, and, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about if you're sick. I'm not talking about, you know, back, back a couple, you know, a year or two ago, whatever with COVID. So let's just kind of say, I'm not talking about those things. But I've heard people say, I don't need the church. I'll just do church at home. Where do you get that? Is it from scripture? Oh, where two or three are gathered in my name. <laughs> really? What's that about? That's actually about church discipline. If you read that, it would actually punk you in what you think. I'm not saying I'm punking you. I'm saying the word of God's punking. <laughs> right? But, it, but, it's, it, but, it, but it's like, no, that's not what Jesus didn't just save you from your sin. He saved you to a family. Here, here's one that I struggle with. Have you ever confessed something because it was a safe confession but you actually have no intention of repenting from it. I mean, I'm saying even confess it to other people. But inside you're thinking like, I ain't doing anything about that. But if I say this, that'll get you off my back. If I say this, you won't actually dig deeper. Oh, I'm just struggling with getting in the word. Yeah. And I'll share the same thing next month and it'll work. That'll look real spiritual. But I'm not... I don't want you to dig deeper. I don't want to actually repent of any of these things. Do we, do we have kind of like a listening problem that we're listening to even ourselves, to the world around us, and we've started to like maybe not even notice that our, our conscious is being shaped by culture. The way that we think is being shaped by, shaped by ourselves. And it's just kind of like our tradition of the elders. And it looks good and it sounds good. And it seems spiritual, but in reality, it's just like we've wandered away from the scriptures. Why? Jesus, why do you, why do you break what, with what we're doing? This is what we do. This is how we operate. And Jesus is like, why do you break from the commandment of God? Are we kind of guilty of, of some of those things? Because notice, notice what happens to them. Verse 7. Jesus says, you hypocrites. And it's not just, oh, you believe one thing and you act a different way. That's not really hypocrite. Hypocrite is like you're an actor. You're putting on, you're pretending. You're putting on a show. Trying to look good. Hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, these people honor me with their lips. Right? It sounds good. God, you're so amazing. You're, put, you're, you're giving lip service to it, but he says, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. I mean, that's tough language. I mean, can you imagine God just saying, your worship of me is pointless. It's useless. 
It's purposeless. Because you're not really even worshiping me. Right? It's, it's worshiping yourself. And he, so it says, your worship for me is vain. Teaching as doctrine, human commands. Basically, you're, you're elevating human things to the level of doctrine, to the level of God things. Very strong words by Jesus. And so, so he, he's saying, you have this hearing problem because of the sake of you, the tradition, the sake of your tradition. The, the, the soup you're cooking in, this is all of it. That's why you're doing this. You have a hearing problem, but, he, but he, in these verses we see, and the next one's coming up, he's like saying, but you also have kind of actually a deeper problem than that. So the second thing is, is we see that there's a heart problem. Heart problem. Verse um, 10. Summoning the crowd, he told them, listen and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. It isn't you eating with unwashed hands that makes you morally unclean or defiled. I mean, we could cruise through this, but at the time, this is actually very shocking what Jesus is saying. Oh, you think if you, you, just, you just didn't do the right act out there and, oh, didn't wash with hands. Now, now I'm hosed. Now I'm unclean. And so, so in this, for, for them, because again, this is everything that they're hearing, everything that there is being taught, their traditions, Jesus just basically turns that around and redefines defilement for them. You think it's this, that you eat with unclean hands that makes you defiled. Nope, that's not it. And so, so the flip side is because they thought, well, if I eat with unclean hands, then I'm defiled. But if I eat with clean hands, then I'm good, right? Then, then I'm, I'm morally acceptable to God. I'm morally clean. And Jesus is saying, nope, it's not any of those things. You don't make yourself fine by washing your hands. You don't mess yourself up by not washing your hands. It's against everything they taught and thought. Verse 12, then the disciples came up and told Jesus, do you not know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? Yeah. Right? I mean, if you're reading like, duh. I mean, a little bit of, of modern culture back here. Oh, you're offending people. Ah, Jesus doesn't seem to care that he's offending people because he's telling them truth. He's not being a jerk about it. It's the truth that is offensive to them. And it's not just religious leaders. If you read through, throughout scripture, it's not just religious leaders that Jesus offends. It's a world that it doesn't understand the gospel that Jesus offends. In John, John 3, the light has come into the world and the people loved darkness. He doesn't say religious leaders. He doesn't say the Pharisees. He says people loved darkness darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So what Jesus is saying is offensive. Verse, verse 13, he replied, every plant that has, um, that my heavenly father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the guy, the blind, both will fall into pit. And so Jesus is saying, Hey, just don't trouble yourself with them. They're, they're, these, these people, these Pharisees, they're not planted. They aren't really positioned with the truth from my father. And so they won't last. Just don't trouble yourself. The, those who that are deceived, they'll deceive others. Verse 15. Then Peter, explained, Peter said, explain this parable to us. Do you lack understanding, Jesus asked? And, and here you're, I mean, I remember when I was reading this, I was like, what parable? And, and really there is actually no parable here. 
Peter is saying, well, you remember when you taught in parables? We didn't really get those. And so, will you explain this thing we don't understand? Still, it's, it's confusing, just like those parables. And again, this is really all the disciples. And, and again, the disciples, it's hard because this is everything that they had, they'd grown up with. Everybody around them thinks this way. Everybody around them says these things. And so they're like, we don't understand because it's hard for them to understand. It's normal in society where they're at. Verse 17, Jesus says, don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? So basically just biology, digestive tract. There we go. Um, But what comes out of the mouth uh, comes from the heart. And this defiles a person. From your heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual moralities, thefts, false testimony, slander. These things are, these are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not. And so Jesus is saying your, your heart, your, your inner character, who you really are, your heart, that's what defiles you. Not because you didn't wash up. And, you, and, you know, it's not like because you got yourself dirty, dirty or morally unclean from things out there. No, no, no. The reason that you're morally unclean is because of you. You defile you. You have an unclean heart because you have an unclean heart. Right? You're, you're the problem. I mean, and, and if you look through here, notice how this kind of reflects uh, a bunch of the Ten Commandments. Jesus talks about murder. This is what comes out of you. Murder, adultery, stealing, coveting, lying. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, if you have anger, right? He's talking about a heart issue, an internal issue. If you have anger, you've committed murder. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you have committed lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. And so Jesus is, is, is being very consistent. Man, it's, it's a heart issue. It's an internal issue. It isn't because of the exterior and you just not washing up. You defile you. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Man, that is not what we are told today. Right? We're all told, you're a pretty good person. We're all naturally good. That just doesn't line up with Scripture. It's like, no, you suck. (laughs) Right? You're the problem. You want to... Oh, it's... It, you're, you're not primarily messed up because somebody else out there, right? Not, it's not that I want to minimize those things. Those, th- those things are real. But, but either way, you're messed up because of you. Parents, don't worry too much if you're going to mess up your kids because you're not a perfect parent. They came out messed up. <laughs> they will be messed up. If you look at God's kids, God, he's the perfect heavenly father. And look at his kids. Right? We're all messed up. Your kid will be messed up. Time Magazine sent out a survey in the early 1900s and just asked the question for people to reply with, what is wrong with the world? And then theologian G.K. Chesterton wrote back, sir, I am. Right? That the heart is desperately sick. People, me, you, 
We're, we're, we're so sinful, so broken. Hearts are so messed up that Jesus had to die for that. Right? It's not just that we make mistakes. Like, there's this huge problem. You can't just do some things to make it better. Right? It's like the grass. You can't just spray paint it and it's like, voila, healthy grass. It's like, no, it's actually dead grass, but it just has some paint on it. That's what it is. The answer isn't for us to do our best, to try harder, some self-improvement strategy, better education policies, none of that. It's, it's, it, there is no UBU. Because that's what the Pharisees of the day thought. That's this, what we're seeing in our culture today is nothing new. That's what they thought then. Just try harder. Just make it look good on the outside and it'll be fine. Do the externals. But the remedy is not a better you. Your heart is desperately sick. And so then if it's like, all right, well, if Jesus says out of the heart... The heart's desperately sick, and out of the heart comes all these evils. I mean, if you look at his list, he doesn't mention anything good. Oh, some good and some bad. It's just like evil thoughts, adultery, murder, theft. That's what comes out of the heart. Well, man, if I can't, if I can't fix me, if my heart's this humongous problem that I can't just spray paint over, then, then what am I to do? Get a new heart. That's the solution. Get a new heart, and that's something that you can't do. You can't just make yourself have a new heart. In Ezekiel 36 is what God is telling them. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean because of what God has done. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Jesus is the one who makes us clean. Man, if, if I defile me, how do I get rid of that defilement? You don't. Jesus does. Jesus is the one that makes you acceptable to God. He says, I'm going to remove from you this messed up, sinful, broken heart. I will remove from you a heart of stone and I will give you a new heart. I'll give you a heart of flesh. By his power, by his grace. I have a question for you. Have you today trusted him to do that? Have you trusted Jesus to actually save you, to make you acceptable to God? To give you this relationship, to, that, that, that it's not you just trying harder, gritting it out. Trying to, to make the exterior look good. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And that he saved you by his grace. That he saved you through the death, crucifixion on a cross, and, and resurrection. Have you trusted in him to make you new? And if, if you have trusted in him as your savior, I want to tell you this. You have a new heart. Right? If, you, if you've trusted in Jesus... He's giving you a new heart. You're a new creation. He goes on in Ezekiel and he says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will put my spirit in you. 
my power, my presence in you, and that's how you're actually going to live a new life. That's actually how you're going to want to follow me. Have different affections. Have different actions. Because why? The spirit of the living God is in you. His power is changing you. And I just say, if if you've trusted in Christ, are you still looking to him to continue to transform you? Right? You have a new heart, but are you looking to God, looking to Jesus to continue to shape you to be more and more like Christ? Are you looking, at, looking to God and saying, God, where, where in me are things that are not like you? Where's their pride or greed or anger? Where, where do I care too much about what other people think of me and I'm living for their acceptance? God, Will you continue to shape me by the truth of your word and by the power of your spirit? Help me, God. I can't do this by myself. Please give me the power to do this. I mean, we talked about this at the men's retreat. We, we, don't, we, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. Why? Because the love of Christ compels us to. The love of Christ controls us to what? Why do I live differently? Because the gospel, because of what, who Christ is and what he's done for me. You want to continue to be transformed to, to where your heart is becoming, being shaped and, and made more and more into the likeness of Christ. Dig into this word, into what Christ is saying. Dig into the truths of the gospel so it digs into you. The power of the, the love of Christ compels you. In Romans 12, it just says, in view of God's mercies, in view of who God is, what he's done for us, the amazing grace and mercy of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord. Don't be conformed to the ways of this world. Don't just be listening to everything that everybody else is saying and, and just live that way, but be transformed by how? The renewing of your mind. Then you'll know the perfect, pleasing will of God. And so if you are a follower of Christ, keep digging into just the gospel into this. I mean, think they, they, back then they were painting the grass. Back, back to then they're just, they're just painting the grass. Hey, this doesn't look green. It's not healthy. Just put some paint on it. And again, that is appealing because it's easy and it's quick. But how much better is it to just help the grass be healthy? To have it be alive? That it's growing? That's what we're doing when we continue to look to God in His Word. In just what He's done for us. His amazing love for us. The gospel of Jesus Christ. In view of God's mercy. He's shaping us. Changing us. Not just painting the grass. But creating in you a heart that is more and more like Christ. Look to Christ. We, we have kind of a hearing problem. We all do. But Christ was the one that was perfectly listening to his father's voice. I only do what my father tells me. We all on our own have a heart problem, but Christ, the perfect, only perfect man, who's completely good, holy, love, only goodness actually came out of his heart, he took on your defilement. He took on your sin. 
so that you could be clean, so that you could be undefiled. Then he gives you this new heart, his spirit in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you. I'm just so much for who you are. Lord, that, that you do, that we don't have to make our hearts new. We don't have to make our hearts even acceptable to you, Lord, but that's what you do for us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we, as we just think through these things, Lord, as we just li- listen to you, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be humble. And, Lord, maybe where are we, where are we starting to listen to, the, to ourselves or to the things around us that are kind of leading us astray? that are leading us from even not following you, from obeying you. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd be humble in that and that we'd give that to you and that you'd help us to listen to you. And, Lord, I pray that we'd just continue to look to you, Lord, so that we would be changed, Lord, so that we'd be transformed into the image of Christ, Lord, and that, um, Lord, that we just experience this new life with you. We ask this in your name. Amen.